Good morning. How are we doing today? Good, good. So good to see you today. My name's Adrian. I'm one of the pastors here at Carney E. Free. If you're a newcomer here, we extend a special welcome to you. Our vision statement here is really simple. Every person matters. You matter to us. You matter to God. And we're grateful that you chose to worship with us today. If we can help you get connected in any way, please let us know that after the service, as Todd just noted. And uh, yeah, grateful to, to have you here. Wonderful worship that Tim and the team led today. I really want to commend to you that passage that he referenced from 1 Kings 19. We're not going to teach on that, though, this morning, but that's a great one to go back and read later on today as it relates to what Tim was just noting and uh, God appearing to Elijah in his time of greatest need and uh, him appearing to Elijah specifically in the midst of solitude and silence, which we're going to talk about a bit here, though, this morning. We really live in that tension that we just saw in that video, don't we? Like, it's just constant. You feel all the noise, both visually and auditorily. You feel like life is running at a harried pace, but you can't get out of it because we live in this information-soaked, technology-saturated culture that it just feels that way. And sometimes it feels like the only way that we can get out of it is to do what that individual just did, to separate altogether. Literally, to separate from this world for periods of time in which we would be still and know that God is God. We've been talking about that in this series, Unhurry Already, because we recognize that we live in a hurried pace. And so, the past couple weeks, while we've talked about two different spiritual practices that we could potentially apply to our lives. Let me just review uh, where we've been. It was two weeks ago that we opened the series and talked about Jesus' invitation to us to come to him when we are weary and burdened and he will give us rest, that we take his yoke upon us and we learn from him. And we looked at a practice that comes from other traditions primarily, but it's been practiced by ancient Christians over the centuries, which is Lent. And Lent, again, is just this opportunity for us to take 46 days to focus a bit more on the cross of Christ in advance of Good Friday and Easter Sunday, and remember that Jesus sacrificed all for us, and so are we willing to say, yeah, I want to separate myself a little bit from this, whatever it might be, so that I could embrace something more, that I could enjoy Christ a bit more as I separate myself uh, from this. So, like, I'm giving up a few things for, for Lent, and it's been really good. When I want those things, it turns me to prayer. Uh, really beneficial. Who's practicing Lent thus far since we talked about that a couple weeks ago? Great. Many. There's still 28 days. If you want to join in, you're welcome to do that at the, this point. Again, it's a simple way to tune your heart and your mind a little bit more toward the cross of Christ, even as you experience a little bit of sacrifice in your own life doesn't need to be legalistic in any way. Uh, last week, Matt did a phenomenal job. Pastor Matt did a phenomenal job. He talked about simplicity. And he noted that the discipline of simplicity has this great ability to steady our hearts by helping us focus once again on what matters most. It's a great line for, for Matt. Simplicity steadies our hearts by helping us refocus our eyes on what matters most. And in simplicity, we realize that we are more than consumers. Amen? We have a soul, and we get uncluttered, and we focus on the things of God in simplicity. Now, let me just say, 
here on this third week of the series. The goal of this series is not to give you six spiritual practices to add to your life each and every day so that you feel even more exhausted than you did a couple weeks ago. Quite the opposite. That's the last thing that we want far from, that, far from this series. I promise you that's the last thing we want. The goal is to give us all some tools, some spiritual practices that have been used across the centuries that we could use at different times depending on what we need at any moment as we continue to grow nearer and nearer to God. Some of these tools are necessary, like prayer and Bible, probably every day or most days at least, they're necessary. Others of them are optional, but I believe they could be beneficial for us to practice from time to time, such as Lent and simplicity. Uh, again, the goal is not to say, here's six more things that you must do. Can we all take a deep sigh of relief? <sighs> okay, that's not what we're saying. What, what we're trying to do is to declutter, to unhurry. And to the extent that spiritual practices help us to do that, it's a tremendous victory. Hurry correlates with anxiety. The two go together. So to unhurry is to reduce anxiety. When we get unhurried and we learn to dwell with Jesus more, love flourishes again in our lives. When we get unhurried and learn to dwell with Jesus more, the joy of the Lord shall be our strength once again. Now the goal of this is elimination again of some of that hurry, elimination of some of the clutter so we could focus our attention on what matters most. Look at this idea up on the screen. The key to sustained attention is elimination. This is true in any area of life. Let's say this together from the screen. Those watching online at carneyefree.com, please join us. Let's say it together. Ready? The key to sustained attention is elimination. And friends, this is true in every area of life, and we know it. Like if you want to have a great conversation well with someone, you know that the starting point is remove the phones. Like, get them off the table altogether. In fact, if you even notice the phone on the table, you are more tempted to think about what's going on that phone as opposed to listen to the person you're talking to. The key to sustained attention is elimination. We know this in whatever profession that we're in. If you want to become a nurse, you have to attend to it. You need to focus on it. You need to study really hard and eliminate lots of other good things so that you can know how to become a great nurse. You want to be an electrician? <laughs> you better pay attention, right? Okay? You eliminate all other distractions so you can focus. This is true in all that we do in life, and it's also true in the spiritual life. And solitude and silence is a way that we get to it. Uh, the great artist, Pablo Picasso said, without great solitude, no serious work is even possible. Woo, did you hear that? Without great solitude, no serious work is even possible. 
in the spiritual life, how much more so? The great revivalist and 20th century author Vance Havner said this, if you don't come apart for a while, you'll come apart in a while. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Somebody. Come on. Come on. Henry Nouwen likewise said this, without solitude, it is virtually impossible to have a spiritual life at all. We do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside some time to be with God and to listen to him. We're deceiving ourselves if we think that we take it seriously and we don't set aside some time to be with him and listen to him. We would not say that we take any relationship seriously if we did not set aside time to be with and listen to that individual, and so also it is in the spiritual life. Now, the issue, of course, is diversion. We have so many different data points, so, much, so many different bits of information flying us at all times, and we get kind of addicted, if we're to be totally honest. We get kind of addicted to the noise and the stir of life. We get addicted to the first part of that bumper video, though, that we just saw. We like the feeling of the buzz in our pockets from the phone. We like to be moving far from thing to thing, and it kind of helps distract us from what's really going on in our souls. We get addicted to the noise and the stir such that being alone with God seems almost incomprehensible. And friends, this should not be so. So turn with me to Mark chapter 1, and we're going to see how Jesus interrupted the noise and the stir to be alone with God. You'll find Mark chapter 1 after the book of Matthew in the New Testament. It goes from Matthew to Mark, then Luke and John. If you get to Luke or John, you went a little bit too far. There is a table of contents as well. Thank you, God. If you don't have a Bible, please pick one up at the exits of this room or the information table. We'd love for you to have a Bible, and that's our gift to you if you don't yet have a Bible. But I think what we're going to find in this passage is that solitude is the instrument for turning off the world and tuning into God. Solitude and silence are these wonderful pair, these instruments used together for turning off all the noise in the world so that we could tune the antenna of our heart and mind to God. Now remember, this is the Savior of the universe that we're about to look at. He's the one who came to redeem and to forgive and to give life to all 7.5 billion people on our planet. And I want you to notice that he turns off the people. He turns off the noise in order to tune in to God. In the context here, Jesus has just, in Mark chapter 1, he's healed a number of people. He healed Peter's mother. He goes to Peter's house, his mother's house. She has a terrible fever. He heals her. Uh, he drives out demons that are in some different people. He's called his disciples. He's been preaching in the synagogue, and they preached a lot longer than I preach, I'll have you know. So he's had a long day, a busy day of healing and teaching and preaching and delivering demons, and people have been all around him, and the news has gotten out. There's a miracle worker in town who's an extraordinary teacher. Let's all go to him. Here's what Jesus did. Here's what Jesus did. Verse 35 of Mark chapter 1. Very early in the morning, 
while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. In my Bible, I have underlined and circled the word solitary. It's probably, say, four in the morning, I would bet. Everyone knows where he is. And he says, even though I'm famous, I'm leaving all of this. Before they can come find me, I'm going to a quiet, solitary place where I can pray. Fast forward, perhaps a couple hours, verse 36. Simon and his companions went to look for him. It's now daybreak. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you, Jesus. They're all up, and they want more of what you gave to them yesterday. And Jesus replied, let's go somewhere else. Let's leave. Let's go somewhere else, he says, to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Do you tune out the world from time to time the way Jesus did here? Let me ask, when you tune out the world from time to time, maybe you get away like he did for a few hours, what do people say to you? They say to you, where have you been? Like, how can you go away and spend all this time away from us? You missed two life group meetings this year? How dare you? You missed the all-church service day? Where were you? I haven't seen any updates on your 13 social media pages over the past 48 hours. What's going on in your life? Where were you? That's what they say, right? Like that's what people say in our culture today when you step away from the noise. And into all that noise, Jesus goes off to a solitary place in order to hear from his father. And when he does, he is galvanized to do what God wants him to do in this world, such that he says to his disciples, no. Let's go to another place, because I've come for other villages as well. And I've heard from my father, and he's given me my marching orders, so no. Jesus shows us that no is a complete sentence. Subject, object, verb, all together in that one word, no. Can you say no to people? Can you say no to what people want for you because you're listening to another? No is this healthy acceptance of our God-given limits. And Jesus had limitations as well. Did you know that? Did you know Jesus had limitations? It's not enough to just say, oh, he was God. No, th- that misses basic theology. Basic theology of this, is this. Jesus was fully God and he was also fully man. And as he became fully man, all the ancient doctrines, all the ancient creeds say this. He took on human limitations such that he really, truly got tired. And he mourned. He grieved He was exhausted at times. He needed to step out of the traffic in order to be 
alone with God. The word no prevents the hurry sickness that says we can accomplish more and more in less time. It is an embrace of our proper limitations. Perhaps you know that technology was supposed to slow our lives down. Did you know that? Has that happened? There was actually a government study that was done back in 1965 that suggested at the end of the study, with all the advances in technology, life is going to slow down so much in the United States that the average American worker is only going to be working 24 hours per week by 1990. It also suggested that by 1990 we would get 22 weeks off of work per year. In other words, we'd be French. I did say that. <laughs> okay, like, how's that going for you? How's your 22 weeks off per year? Is that going pretty well? Yeah, it didn't happen that way, did it? They were way off. Because what we found is technology has not reduced our hurry. It's not reduced our busyness. It's increased it. And friends, I would like to argue that hurry and comfort addiction, and sometimes those two go together, hurry and comfort addiction are the great spiritual enemies to a true Christian life in our day. We'll talk about comfort addiction another day. The two actually go together a lot. But for now, hurry does these things. Like, hurry makes us go and go and go at such a pace that we can have a dusty prayer closet. We can have a prayer chair like I have that gets no use. And then we can just say, well, I pray in the car. No, you don't. <laughs> Hurry leads us to the golden arches. Not because it's like really good food. Certainly not because it's cheap food. It isn't cheap anymore, is it? But because it's fast food. We want what's fast. We want it now. Hurry leads us to lots and lots of Facebook friends, but in some cases, no friends. Hurry leads us to incredible amount of information without wisdom. It's been said we live in the most information-advanced society ever, and we certainly have more information at our disposal, in our palms, than any other generation has ever had. But do we have more wisdom? Not even close. Hurry can lead us to mediocrity rather than Jesus' wonderful promise, I have come that you may have life and you may have it abundantly. Not with mediocrity, but abundantly. You gotta understand, Jesus was on mission. He had a great master plan. He was busy. His three years of ministry but before he was crucified and died they were intense, they were busy. And yet he prioritized this white space on his calendar. They regularly like wrote into his calendar, these are times that I am getting away from the crowd to be alone with my God. And you might say, well, Mark 1 is just one experience of that, Adrian. Trust me, it's all over the Gospels. You read the Gospel accounts carefully, you'll see Jesus getting away from the crowds again and again and again, being refilled by his Father and then going back into the crowds well, with renewed energy. Here's just a few other examples. Mark 3 says this, Jesus withdrew from a large crowd to a lake. 
Luke 4, 42, at daybreak, Jesus went to a solitary place. Luke 5, 16, Jesus oftentimes withdrew, not occasionally, he often withdrew to lonely places and he prayed. We cannot overstate this. This is the creator of the universe who spoke and the universe left into existence. He is the son of God, our redeemer, and he is modeling for us. He's showing us the way to life. I'd say he's whispering to us. Maybe he's whispering to you today. Part of his way of life that needs to be part of your way of life. And within that whisper is the reality that we cannot give away what we do not have. So if you don't have a deep, abiding love for the Father, that you're being filled by him, you won't have that love to give away to your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, people that you know who you want to know Christ and you know they don't know Christ, you won't have that to give away to your kids because you simply cannot give away what you do not have. We receive the Father's love first and then we have the Father's love to to give away. I know this is not easy. Years ago, I was teaching in another context and after preparing for a couple hours though that day, I came home to, to my wife and we were debriefing our day and I was really, really happy but because that day I told Susie that I uh, went into my study area of my office and I prepared an entire message in a couple hours. It was like a miracle fall from heaven for me. It usually doesn't happen that way. And I was sharing with her, it was just so great that it all came together. It just kind of flowed to me in a couple hours. And she said, that's great, Adrian. Well, what's the message about? I said, it's about margin. And she said, if only it was that easy to practice, Adrian. (laughs) Yeah, that's spot on. Like, it's easy to write about. It's easy to talk about margin. It is not easy to implement it in this world. You gotta understand that the the full life that Jesus offers by his grace is free, but it ain't easy. It's free, but it's not easy. And God's grace is not opposed to your effort. You have to make effort to enter into his rest. It's this white space By entering into some white space, by factoring it into our calendars, that we're able to develop this reservoir of love in our hearts. As we receive from the Father, a deeper reservoir of love in our hearts from which we can draw from and give to others as well. And that happens as we go into silence and say, Speak, Lord, for I, your servant, am listening. In solitude in which we remove all noise, remove phones and all distractions, and dwell with God. We listen to him, we pray to him, we practice gratitude, we meditate on short Bible passages, we seek to get those into us, and as we get those into us, something different emerges. Like, personally, I can be loving and self-controlled, I can be patient, I can be gentle for a little while. I don't know about you, but I have that in me to do that for a little while. 
But I can't do it on a consistent basis by myself. These fruit of the Spirit that we talk about so often because they are the description of the abundant life, the fruit of love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, that fruit on a consistent basis does not come from Matt or Mary or Daryl or Adrian or anyone but the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit comes from the Holy Spirit, not from us pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, but by getting alone with God. And then he changes us from the inside out, slowly but surely over time. And friends, I promise you, solitude and silence will make you a better husband. It'll make you a better father. It'll make you a better wife, a better mother. It'll make you a better friend. Because that's what God does for us. He loves us so, and in his presence, his fullness of joy, in his presence, we change. The church I previously served had a wonderful youth pastor, not as wonderful as Jordan Heinrichson. <laughs> no, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't compare. Um, I'm sorry, but Jordan is the bomb. <laughs> a wonderful youth pastor, served there for probably 20 years, and uh, he came from Southern California to Colorado, and he instituted this annual trip to Southern California to stay with his parents, and they would do the spring break trip, would take a bus out, and for four or five days, they'd have all the high school girls, maybe 20 high school girls, stay on one level, packed like sardines in their sleeping bags, and all the high school boys staying on another level of the house, packed like sardines in their sleeping bags. And then for four days, they would do things like go to the beach, and do um, barbecues and bonfires at the beach, and they'd go to Magic Mountain or Disneyland. They'd do all the awesome things in Southern California that everyone wants to do. And uh, I would regularly uh, hear from, from the students as they came back. They also received a lot of really good teaching on this trip that they called Iron Man. And I would ask the students as they came back, what was the most impactful thing for you on the Iron Man trip? And I was always so surprised to hear their answers that day after day, as I'd hear them, in the weeks after they returned from that trip, they would say, it actually wasn't Disneyland. I said, well, what was it? They'd say, it was the day of solitude. What? And the pastors and youth leaders would drop off the kids in different parks. And they'd be with the kids in those different parks. But each kid had their physical Bible and their journal with a number of stimulating questions from the pastors and youth leaders perhaps a book, and over the course of eight hours, they would learn what it means to be alone and listen to your father. And what they would say was, I heard from God in a way that I never have. And I learned that God loves me personally. And I actually enjoyed prayer for the first time. They weren't allowed to have their phones. It was amazing what happened on those days that they met with God. In a simpler way, I had an opportunity to sit down with a gentleman here in this church named Willie Marshall, who I've gotten to know over the past couple years, and he's got a deep relationship well with Christ. And I sat down with him to talk about 
his prayer life and how he practices solitude on a daily basis as he engages God in prayer. And I'm so impressed well, with this man, the, the way he dwells with God. And I wanted you to hear a little, little bit of his story, how he spends time with God each day. Take a listen. I'm Willie Marshall. Uh, I work out at Ace Irrigation as one of their welders. As you can see the leathers that make that obvious. <laughs> uh, weld on galvanized steel, so I wear a respirator for approximately nine hours a day. Uh, been coming Carney free now for pretty close to two years. From the age of nine to 42, yeah, that's 33 years. Active addiction. Sex, drugs, booze, rock and roll, everything that went with it. Taking me down to the very bottom of the barrel, living in Phoenix, being homeless, doing every vile thing there was under the sun to supply my addiction. My clean date is May 17th of 09. And that's not something I could do without Christ. I might white knuckle 30 days clean, but come day 31 or 30 and a half or 30 and a quarter, it was back on like Donkey Kong. He has taught me a new way of life. He has taught me that it's not about me, myself, and I. Uh, I finally understand <laughs> what love actually is. That word has meaning for me today. God talks to me through his word. Uh, he takes me deeper into it, gives me better understanding. The, uh, I keep a lot of scripture foremost in my mind because being a recovered addict, I have to. Having a disciplined prayer life is such a necessary, vital part of our Christian walk. Prayer doesn't have to be anything fancy or eloquent. It's an outpouring of your heart. That's what it really is. It's a two-way communication. But imagine God being your best friend on the other end of the telephone. You're not going to call him up and list all the things that are on your mind or on your heart. and they and then say, okay, thanks, God, goodbye, click. You've got to make the time to be still and know that he is God and know that your prayers have been heard. <laughs> and being patient and waiting on God. God's time is not our time. Uh, too many people in this day and age have an addict mentality where they want what they want and they want 10 minutes ago because now is just too late. God is not a vending machine where you insert your prayer and out pops your prize. He's not. He will answer your prayer in his time, not yours. For me, the joy of prayer is uh, one of the greatest joys. It really is. I have people coming to me uh, from all different walks. Uh, some people, the only thing they know about God or Christ is using their name as swear word. And yet they come to me and say, hey, uh, I've got this going on in my life. 
I know you believe, could you pray for me? I've always got room on my prayer list for one more name. I don't care how long it gets. There's always room for one more. It's, uh, I don't pray primarily for myself. I pray for others. I pray for a lot of different situations going on, not only here in this country, but around the world. Uh, when a person develops a solid prayer life, they will find that praying is not a chore, it is a joy. And uh, developing that doesn't have to be done in huge chunks. Set aside five minutes a day to start with. Just five minutes. You can sacrifice five minutes from your phone. After you get comfortable with that five minutes, let it grow. Say, okay, I'm gonna do this for 10 minutes now. Your prayer life will grow if you want. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Does Willie seem to enjoy God? Does he seem to be kind of happy? Yeah, like these things go together. Prayer and solitude and experiencing relationship with God goes together with, with joy. You've got to build it. You start small. As Willie just said, it may be a commitment that some of us would make today that we don't have that white space in our calendar, we don't have an appointment with God on a daily basis that we say, I'm going to write into my calendar 15 minutes each day, maybe start for five days a week. 15 minutes where you get a little bit of Bible and you pray and you listen to God and you reflect on what he might be saying to you and you don't break that appointment. You wouldn't break an appointment with your boss, would you? Would you? This is your boss. This is way better, way bigger than your boss. This is our Lord that invites us to connect with him. We make that appointment, and then we commit to that, and we build it little bit by little bit out of that. For many of us, that'll be morning time, but it doesn't have to be morning time. Let's take the legalism out of it. Like, it can be noontime. It could be at your lunch. It could be at a break fall from work. It could be after you get home fall from work. It could be when the kids go get to bed in the evening and you get 15 minutes alone with God. There's no legalism to it. It's this commitment to be with God at the hours that actually work for you. Then from there, perhaps if you already have that in your life, maybe this would be the day that you could, by faith, receive a challenge from me to go into solitude for two or three or four hours to be alone with God and to develop a more interactive relationship with him over time the way Jesus did. The way Jesus did what with the Father, the way those kids in the previous youth group did when they went off into solitude of that park, what if we were to do that? What if you scheduled in your calendar a couple three or four hour blocks over the course of a year, you say, honey, these are the times that I hope for you to be able to get away well with God. You have to talk about it together if you're married. You figure out some times that work for her, you figure out some times that work for him, and devote yourself 
to some structure by which you would be alone with God. If you want some structure for that, you can email me. I'd be happy to share with you some templates that I use. I schedule into my calendar three to four days every year, full days, where I get away for no other purpose, not to work, but to be with God. And sometimes, most years, I'll schedule two full days at a time, go overnight, away from all technology, leave the phone behind. If emergency happens, Susie can find me. And uh, it's amazing what happens to my hurry sickness. I tend to be hurry sick. Some of you know that about me. And it melts away. And again, in the presence of God is fullness of joy. I come back a different person. My wife regularly thanks me for going away. <laughs> Not sure what exactly that means, but she does. <laughs> Go away some more. We tune out of this world in order to tune into God. And real quickly, as we continue in Mark chapter 1, just one more quick insight here. Um, solitude is an instrument for true compassion. Solitude is an instrument for true compassion. Look what happens what with Jesus. He tunes out of the world in order to tune into God. Then verse 40, here's the next thing that happens to Jesus. He's alone with the Father, goes to another village, tells the disciples, no, I'm not staying here. We're going somewhere else. The very next thing that happens is this, verse 40. A man with leprosy came to Jesus and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. He said, I am willing be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Again, I would circle, highlight in my Bible that word compassion. Jesus was filled with compassion. Now, if you traveled anywhere in the world, you've seen this man, haven't you? If you spend any amount of time in inner cities in America on street corners, you see this man or a woman all the time. You watch the evening news, you see this man or woman coming out of Ukraine and out of Afghanistan, and on and on where we could go. We, we see this man or woman all the time. But it's interesting to me, with increased exposure has not come increased compassion, has it? In fact, oftentimes what happens is the more we're exposed, the more numb we feel, the more compassion fatigue we feel. It's indicative that Jesus went into solitude he was refreshed by his father. It's not accidental that when he came out of solitude, his reservoir of compassion was refilled. Can you imagine this? It's such a beautiful portrait. This man with leprosy comes to him. I've seen leprosy. It is harrowing. This man with leprosy comes to him, falls on his knees and says, Jesus, would you please heal me if you're willing you want to imagine what Jesus would do sometimes, kind of like add some imagination to, to the scriptures. I imagine here his eyes fill with tears. And he put his hand on this man, and he was gut-wrenched. Indeed, that's what the word compassion means in the original Greek language. He was gut-wrenched. He was keeled over with compassion. His heart went out to this man. He touches this man, and he says, oh, I'm willing. You better believe I'm willing. Be clean. You're healed. Go in peace. 
out of being with the Father, his store of compassion was refilled to go back out into ministry again. You tune out of the world, you tune into God. As you tune into God, then your reservoir of compassion is rebuilt. That's just the way it works. Like we teach our kids regularly, garbage in, garbage out, right? How about this? God in, God out. You become more and more like whatever you behold. God in, God out. That's the way it works. I've noticed in these past several years that a lot of Christians just aren't very compassionate. Have you noticed that? I've noticed that, and I've wondered why. And I think the reason why a lot of Christians are not very compassionate is because a lot of Christians don't spend much time with God. I'm convinced that there is an almost one-to-one correlation between the amount of time you spend with God and then actually seeing people the way God sees people. You lack time with God, you will lack compassion. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate, the compassionate one. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. He is slow to anger. He abounds with steadfast love and faithfulness. If your compassion meter is lacking, you dwell with him. And to be sure, as you do, you will feel moments of vulnerability And yet it's in that vulnerability of solitude with our God that he whispers to us words like, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Nothing will ever separate you from the love of God revealed for you in Christ Jesus. Neither the highest mountain nor the deepest sea nor anything in all of creation will separate you from God's love. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He reveals these words to us that he is our refuge and our shelter, a very present help in any time of trouble. In this world, we will have trouble, but in me, he says, you'll have peace. But you only get that when you tune out of this world and then tune into God. And out of that rhythm comes a different kind of heart for people. Heavenly Father, we we want more of you. Man, we, we need more of you. Some of us... uh, and I, I can be the same way, just zip through life. And we forget that we have a soul that needs to be tended to. And then we get what we're getting. And so, Father, we ask for your forgiveness that we oftentimes don't prioritize being with the one who alone is God.
Would you please grant us a conviction, a courage to eliminate other stuff that we could attend to you. The key to attention is elimination. And we desire the abundant life that is only found in Jesus Christ. So Father, would you please give us courage to say no where we need to say no. Would you please give us discipline to dwell with you and forsake other things in this world. Father, some of us in this room, I don't know who, but I'm, I just imagine a room this size. Some of us are angry. And look at people, and the first thought is judgmentalism. It's not compassion. And yet the refrain of the Old Testament is this story of God. He is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And so we just say to you, Father, we want to be more like you in that way. Would you please forgive us for the ways that we just do our own thing? We need more of you. We need more of you. So I'm not sure where you're at right now, but maybe you'd make a commitment right now. As people's eyes are closed, maybe you'd say, yeah, I, I need to spend time with God. He's not on my schedule in any way. And I'm committing this week to doing it. If that's you, would you just raise your hand and just say that to God right now? I need to do that. I'm going to do that this week. Amen. Many, many people are in that boat. 15 minutes, 10 minutes. As Willie said, five minutes, start there. But commit. And grow from there. And maybe you say, I, I, I want to go deep with God. And I've never done time of solitude. And, and I want to go to a lake this week. Or this month. I want to go to a hillside. I want to go to my prayer closet. I want to go to the prayer room here at church. And I, I want to be with God for a couple hours. And I'm going to do that. And I'm going to ask God to speak in some areas of my life. If that's you, would you raise your hand now? And just make that commitment to God that you're going to do that. Yeah, amen. Thank you. So, Father, we make these commitments to you. And we ask for your courage and your help to follow through on them. Thank you, Lord, that you're a good, good Father. We sing to you now with thanksgiving and praise for your matchless gift of your son Jesus Christ in whom we have life in abundance.